This is episode 21 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is usually to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. This episode is a bit different, though, as I'll discuss in a moment. What follows is the conversation that I had with Hamid Drake, along with our mutual friend Christina Brakebill, on the afternoon of April 16th, 2017, in Christina's now former living room in the Edgewater neighborhood of Chicago. Hamid is a Chicago-based percussionist who plays in many groups and ad hoc improvised contexts, as he's been doing for over 40 years. You're currently hearing me talk over Peace and Blessings to Fred from the 2012 album Velvet Songs to Baba Fred Anderson by Hamid's trio with Harrison Bankhead and Ernest Dawkins. At the end of this interview, you'll hear Take Us Home, featuring Hamid on vocals, from the 2009 album Reggaeology by Hamid Drake and Bindu. A bunch of notes about this episode. One, this interview took place on a Sunday that was simultaneously Easter and one of the last days of Passover, which comes up a few times throughout the recording. Two, Hamid spent most of his youth in Evanston, the smaller city that borders Chicago to the north, that he also recently moved back to. Last winter, I booked him to play at my place of actual employment, the Evanston Public Library. I asked him then, and during this interview, about Evanston's musical history, but I only included the bits that I thought would be of general interest. Those bits come in somewhat disjunctly near the end of the interview. Sorry about that. Three, speaking of disjunct, this interview didn't follow the normal blindfold test, invisible jukebox concept. Hamid had misgivings about doing it that way, and I'm guessing that anyone listening will understand that I was more than happy to alter the format for the chance to interview him. Instead, I just showed him what I had picked and some things that Christina had picked too, and we chose tracks together, no guessing involved. Four, this interview and the accompanying hang were more sprawling than any I've done to date. We spent five hours talking and listening and going on tangents, including excursions into Hamid and Christina's shared interests in both physiology and spiritualism. In addition, towards the end, we started switching the music around more than we should have if we wanted this episode to naturalistically resemble a single coherent conversation. Sorry about that too. I'm going to blame the editing challenge that resulted from this sprawl and scatter for my tardiness in finishing this episode, and that is partly true. Five, and lastly, the playlists for all of these episodes are sourced from many friends, old and new, who I always try to thank when I post the episode on Facebook. For this one, though, I should give extra thanks to the great good man, Bill Meyer, who suggested what we're listening to during probably three quarters of the episode. Thanks, Bill, and thanks to all the rest of you who've helped me with my music homework. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W-I-S.org, where you'll find information about all the tracks that I played for Hamid, which is more necessary than usual with this episode since each track doesn't start with us identifying the musicians. You can also like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Hamid Trick. Yeah, okay, this, what is the rhythm that you play? Is it from some... Well, well, this is a this is basically the traditional African twelve eight. Uh-huh. You know, you, you hear a lot in African music and in Afro Cubano music. Yeah, yeah, it's like the most. Uh, it's it's a rhythm you find throughout all basically all of Africa. Really. 
And can you define and, can you define everything? And it's it is really um, it's the most universal rhythm because it really it's a three it's like three and two, mm -hmm. you know, male, female. Mm -hmm. um, yin yang, yin ma, you know. But I would like to say something about Ed Blackwell. Yeah. And um, he was probably um, the doorway for me from moving from like having um, he changed my whole concept about uh, drumming in a jazz setting. How so? Because of his use of multiple rhythms, mm. you know, and um, and also the 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 way that he interpreted the um, the traditional um, swing, you know, mm. you know, chang chang dang chang dang. Yeah. Um, he had so much. For me, he had this whole aspect of dance to his playing. Right. You know, and it was like, you know, and um, but then when he went to. Um, he, you know, he spent quite a bit of time in Morocco yeah. with Randy Weston, mm -hmm. you know, and and the, and the time that he spent there, I think that helped also to change his whole concept about drumming because yeah. he was around all of the Moroccan drummers and yeah. so forth, you know. Yeah. And this was a very consistent rhythm that they're playing, but Blackwell was the one who kind of gave me the permission, I would say, to um, to explore various. Uh, other types of rhythm within a jazz format. But it was Fred Anderson who was the one who told me to listen to Blackwell. Okay. And the reason he did that was because when we had this group uh, with George Lewis, Douglas Stewart, Fred, myself, piano player Sajid Adebayo, and uh, electric bass player Felix Blackman, we practiced Fred's music and some of George's music also. And we when played. This was uh, 70. George had just come back from um, um, Yale, back okay. in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, of course, when he was there in Connecticut, he had been influenced by Rodada Leo Smith and you know, mm -hmm. Braxton and people that were there. You know. <clears throat> and so we played the heads, you know, which were very kind of straight ahead. But after that, there was no designated, no one designated where we should actually go. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I would always ask Fred because I was I was very new to playing jazz in that particular format. Yeah. And so I, I said, what should I do afterwards? <laughs> you know, what should I do? Yeah. He said he told me to uh, listen to Ed Blackwell. Okay. You know? And he said if you listen to Black Blackwell, you see how <clears throat> he also would play like the melody, you know, on the drum set, which would relate to the heads, and then that would give you some. Um, an inspiration or like a, um, a concept of where to go after we played the hits. Mm -hmm. So that was very informative, you know, for me. And then meeting Blackwell was a whole other opener, you know. Yeah. And um, so, um, but if you listen to him, you see, it's like, I mean, he's got all these multiple rhythms happening, but all based on the, that uh, gank, 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 yeah. gank, 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 gank. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned dance being in him at all times because yeah. that it, something like this could be you know it's one of these 69 actual kind of albums that could yeah. be like really some of them are quite harsh in yeah. a good sense i think but yeah. uh, are they're fiery but you know and th this is you could dance to this you could have mm -hmm. a, you mm -hmm. could be we could be dancing to this right now yeah oh yeah 
some of my early recordings with Fred Anderson uh, and some other people, uh, I was very much influenced by Blackwell, and um, I had to kind of disassociate myself from him for a little while because I was playing like him too much. Right. You know? Because that happens. You know, and, um, and so, but that was good though because it, it enabled me to find my own sort of way. Sure. You know? And I, I mean, in terms of... But all these rhythms felt natural for me too because of my study of congas and all that stuff after mm. Cuban music. So mm. it's like, it wasn't, I said, yeah, this makes sense, you know. play all that, you know. Then you can do all these different layers. A lot of the stuff that Adam and I do, uh, through their Windsor, you'll see a lot of it's based off of I'll the, say Adam the, Rudolph. Yeah, Adam Rudolph. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it's based off of this <clears throat> this particular African clave. And we discover from this this clave, this African clave, it can lead you onto the path of playing many, 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 many different meters, you know, um, rhythmic meters simply based off of this. Because it's simply three and two. So you can do like it's what you where you can go is infinite. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But it's still but it's still because it keeps that three against two, it still, right. still moves people. Right, still, still moves. Feels it's got to dance to it. Yeah. You know? And it's something that's interesting. That's very, to me, very important. It's something you clearly internalize because you're one of the only, like, I don't think I've ever heard a recording of anyone else with Peter Brutzman who threw down, like, a danceable beat. Mm -hmm. under, you know, like, I, maybe that exists. I certainly haven't heard all the recordings. Well, but you other that. drummers that played with Peter after I Crazy. started playing with Peter, they started doing it. Okay. But uh, <laughs> that's why Peter and I fell in love with each other. But when I first went to Europe with Peter, most of his friends, you know, a lot of the European improvisers, they didn't like me mm. for that very reason. Really? Yeah, they liked it when I would play just free. Yeah. You know? And I could play free for a thousand years, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's not a problem. But that's only uh, a minute aspect of, of me, you know, and, and what I do on the drums. But when I start playing the grooves, they, they didn't dig that. And some pretty well-known folks that you are really aware of, they don't they well, like it. Well, will you, you can, I'll delete it if you want me to. Will you tell us? I will, you don't have to. Okay, you know. well, I got some interesting stories about this, so I'll tell it. <laughs> Tony Oxley was one, you know. Mm -hmm. Paul Lovins, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. which I have to tell a story about Paul, too, okay. regarding grooves and stuff. Sure. Paul Lovins, um, Evan, you know, Parker, yeah, you know, uh, until, right. later, the, 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 until, the later, cats, yeah. until later, until later, until later. And I thought know, it was cool. Well, see, some stuff happened, you know, and uh, later, so there was a bunch of them. Peter Koval, yeah. you know, but then with Peter, when we started playing together, mm -hmm. then a whole nother door opened up for him, you know, because he found out that when we played together and I would start playing these grooves, it opened up other pathways for him to go. To the point where he, after some conscious, he'd come up to me and ask me, he said, Hamid, am I swinging okay? Is it okay? <laughs> yeah. I said, Peter, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, but I, I realized that it was because of his insecurity. Sure. That's why, you know, many people are afraid of the groove, mm -hmm. you know, because the groove has this power that it just goes inside of you mm -hmm. and it can, it takes over because that's your natural rhythm anyways, groove. Everything within our cellular system, everything inside of us is grooving. Mm -hmm. The heartbeat, the way the sound of the blood flowing through, even if you close up your ears like that and you hear these sounds, 
it's metric. Yeah. You know, it's the, 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 the those things are happening metrically. There's rhythms going on. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I actually, and I, the thing I was, had in mind to play next, not that I'm switching to say that I could, is uh, Milford Graves. Oh yeah. Who that and that's yeah. my understanding because that's like very yeah. very much his yeah. thing. But yeah, that's so so yeah. But the thing about Paul though is very interesting okay, because when I when I first heard Paul, Paul and I want to know what changed too. Yeah. You said something too. Um, I said to him, I came up to Paul, I said, "Wow, man, because I love all the the alternate stuff he does and everything." And I said, "Paul, man, I said, um, I said, I bet you like, I bet you can swing too." Yeah. He's like, "Oh no, 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 no." I said, "Yes, you can, man." I said, "I hear it in your playing." Yeah. I said, "You might be not doing it because it's not kosher to do that in certain types of improvised music." Yeah. But I know you have that quality in your playing. Yeah. So one day, I was in France with Asif Zahar and Peter Kovar, and and Paul was at the same festival with Eugene Chadbourne. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, so it's guitar and drums, and I'm sitting there listening, and then I hear Paul break into this reggae groove. <laughs> Then he comes up to me afterwards and he says, Rami, Rami. I said, yeah, Paul, I said, you sounded great, man. He said, thank you. I said, I said what are you thanking me for? <laughs> right, he said, he said, you gave me permission to like, to like, to play reggae and to play all these other grooves. Wow. And I said, well, brother, I didn't give you the permission. I, just, I said, man, you had it in you all the time. Yeah. You, know, you just had to have the, the courage to... Um, you know, listen to your own voice instead of that of your peers mm. around you. Yeah. Know? And so, so we, we, we were friends before, but we've been like, like this ever since. Now he wants to do duets together. And, um, and I told him, I said, okay, this is what we'll do. I said, um, I already have a jazz reggae project called Bindu Regiology. I would like to do a version of Bindu Regiology with you playing drums and me playing drums. Yeah. You know? He said, really? I said, yeah, man. I said, yeah, you know, let's, let's do that. So it's, um, it all breaks down to language, yeah. you know? Like Ed Blackwell is playing a particular type of language, language yeah. on the drums. It doesn't matter whether you're playing free or you're open. I don't say free because it's not free. <laughs> <laughs> open, right, yeah, okay, in sure. An open way. Because, um, because it's not free because it's like, people generally have the, because we're pattern beings, so mm -hmm. it's natural. You know, even though we say we're playing free, it's natural to, to do like the same things most of the time. Yeah. You know, so it's not free in the ultimate, you know, but we can say open. And know, open, open meaning that um, it, there's no stress upon any particular designated rhythmic structure. Sure. But even if you chart, or even if you look at someone, uh, doesn't matter if it's a drummer or any other instrumentalist, you look at them and you listen to them playing what they say is free, they're still playing in patterns, mm. you know, <laughs> you know, and um, like Evan Parker, he's circular breathing all the time. Oh, especially that yeah. stuff that he does. Yeah. It's very, circular very, breathing. very rhythmic. Yeah. Yeah. But now when Evan and I play together and I go into all these different grooves, he loves it. Yeah. You know? Because it, it's about finding, hearing different things and being yeah. open to, to me, free music is about, <clears throat> you're going to really be free. That means that you're open to whatever the circumstance is in the moment. You can't say you're a free musician, then somebody starts grooving, and you say, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> you know? And even though, um, what's his name, the guitar player, uh, he died um, from, from England. Uh, uh, 
There's a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he oh, was, Derek Bailey. Derek Bailey. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah I mean, even though he had his theories about improvisation, and he yeah. say that you know every time he plays, it's different. That's not true. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's not. Yeah, he has an idiom too. Yeah. Yeah. Something that has a much more of a non-dancey sort of splatter-free approach. Like you said, you could play free for a thousand years or whatever. I just thought it'd be interesting to, to think about it. It's not non-dancey though, because you, when I listen to that, you know what I hear? I hear like a djembe player soloing up against the, the rhythm that's behind it. Mm. You know? Sure. Well, yeah, that's my, that's yeah. my question is, what do you yeah. hear? What do you hear listening to this? But I'd like to say something first about Milford. Um, I think there's two drummers that opened up the, uh, the pathway of what we might call um, more open sort of <coughs> playing of drums, where you're not playing a designated, like, you know, meter all the time, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, Elvin was very open in his playing, but it was always in the you know, stuff he did with training and everything. Say Milford Graves and Sonny Murray. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're both very different. Yeah. And um, Milford, he opened up uh, Sonny did too a whole range of sonic quality to the drums, you know, and all these different alternate techniques yeah. that every so-called improviser or free drummer that's living today, whether they know it or not, yeah. have uh, taken from Milford. You know, it might not be direct, but seeing someone else who's taking something from you, sure. you know, sure. you know sure. on down the line. And, um, but the beautiful thing about Milford is that he, um, he's realized the, the whole world of percussive range, you know, he's very studious. And so, you know, he was checking out Indian music, African music, Cuban music. And the interesting thing also about him, his first instrument was not drum set, it was timbales. Mm. You know, he started up playing Latin music, playing yeah. timbales. So you can still hear, you know, a lot of that in, in his playing, you know. And, um, and what you were saying earlier, too, about Milford and his whole, the whole physiological thing, he's been doing some really amazing research, and he's had some amazing discoveries with with uh, the heart monitor, you know, and all the all these various different rhythms that that the heart, the physical heart, is pumping out and producing. You know. Have you ever heard of music thanatarians? No, tell me about that. Hmm. So music thanatarians are are it's a genre of health study that um, people perform death rituals. Mm. So you go, you're dying. Mm-hmm. And the, then, the thanatarian comes and they say, you know, what religion are you? What kind of spirituality are you? And then they take your vital signs and they provide a music to like calm your breath or calm your pulse or calm your blood pressure makes sense. as you go towards death. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, I, I didn't know it was called that. That's, I'm going to look into that. That's very deep. Um, Michael Zerang and I, years ago, we performed a something very similar in regards to um, uh, Lou um, Melosi's ex-wife, Dawn, who passed away. Okay. You know, um, <clears throat> she asked Michael and I, she was on her deathbed at home, and she asked, because she, she was always coming to our Winter Solstice concerts and whatever yeah, we do with church, sure. she, she was there, but she asked Michael and I to come to their home. When the when experimental sound studio was on Polina at the time, right off of uh, uh, Foster, right. and she asked us to come to well, Lou did, you know, but it was at her request yeah. to come to their home, and she wanted Michael and I to play our frame drums for her, you know, ah. 
and um, last concert. Yeah, and, and, and we did. Really? Yeah. I'm like about to cry. It's really serious. We, we played and I sang, you know, and everything. And um, and when we first got there, she was kind of a little bit unconscious. But then, you know, Lou, he said, Don, you know, Michael and Hamid are here. And so then she kind of opened her eyes. And, and so, you know, we both gave her a little hug and a kiss and everything. And then we started playing and singing. And then she got bright. <laughs> you know, bright. You know, and um, she passed away a, a few days after that. So, um, but I'm going to look into that because I didn't know that term. You know, Sanitarian? but it's, it's yeah. totally makes total sense. Totally and you said Milford Graves was doing experiments on. Yeah, he's doing like with with the uh, with the computer. He he has ways to hook up these different things to the heart. You know, and listening to the. Because the EKG machine. Yeah, but normally there's only one rhythm that's heard, you know, usually. Yeah. But he's heard like each heart has several rhythms and they're distinct from other different parts of the muscle. There's four valves. Yeah, there's four valves, so why wouldn't there be, right? Different rhythm, different rhythm, different rhythm. How do you think that that translates into music? So is it the one to one translation would be like, okay, there's these different rhythms that I can hear in a heart, I will reproduce the rhythm with my four limbs or something, but that's probably it's probably not that one-to-one. How does that... Well, you can try and reproduce them or you can play against them. I mean, they, they, they give you this information you can use to just um, create a lot of different things. I mean, yeah, we could use them as far as playing against them. We could use them for compositional ideas. Um, um, we can You can even take one of those things and dissect it into different parts. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's just... Um, it's a way of having more information to um, go deeper into the whole creative process. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and when you, as a listener, listening to this album right now, for example. See, now he just, no, he just started to play a different way now, too. A different rhythm. A different yeah. way, more in a jazz sort of context, you know, like more like a, like a Kenny Clark or, or R. Blakey or something. Okay. Yeah. Before he was doing all this other now he's like real more kind of quote unquote jazzy in a way. Right now. Yeah. It's not really is there a, is there a one? Is there a, a You can find a one. There's always a one. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean I'm I'm fascinated. Yeah. Where's the where's the one here? Oh, okay. You wanna, I'll, the I'll, one is wherever you want to place it. Right. Well okay. <laughs> I'll go back to it. I'm just, I'm just, I mean if you want it, you don't have to, but if you want to come. So I can hear it yeah, off yeah, of that. Yeah, you can hear it off of that. Or... Okay, and it's yeah. shifting. Yeah. And so it's not like it sticks Because it's thing. language. Yeah. And language is always shifting. We don't talk like some people do. And most most of the people that talk, and it's really kind of flat, you mm-hmm. know, so they, after a while they get kind of hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, or people <laughs> who have to that. talk like that because yeah. their it's their job right now is to give you a boring presentation. Right, exactly. They don't like yeah. it either. They don't like it either. No. <laughs> yeah, but they just like I'm just succinct. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's like even languages like up and down and flowing and this going sideways, kitty corner. You know, it's like um, you know even the, the, the inflections of our speech. The inflections of our speech. What beautiful. <laughs> What's beautiful about? Oh, for one, the drums started the composition. 
You're proud. <laughs> a drum booster. Yeah. <laughs> and then just the, the, the slowly, the, the bass kind of gradually coming in there, you know, and, you know, and then um, at first, when they first started playing together, they weren't quite together, mm-hmm. you know. They were trying to find each other, you know. And then they found each other, you know. Yeah. And then, then, then you know, so they, they were able to set it up for everybody. And then, you know, the train comes in. So that's beautiful because I, I think there's a beauty in, um, to me, um, being clumsy is like really um, amazing in a way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because it's, and, and, and not feeling bad about being clumsy. Sure. Because it means that well, you're, you're open to really trying to, to find something and it, and it means that there's not... Because there is no perfect picture, you know, <laughs> you know, and um, I think the perfection comes about through, you know, us trying to find, you know, our way, you know, but, uh, but to be clumsy, though, is just, is, a, I think, is a true place of um, naivety, you know, naivete, you yeah. know, being naive, which actually means to be open, right, in a way, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that most people say, "Well, you're so naive." Right. It doesn't mean that you're you're stupid or you know you don't know what's going on. To me, I mean, if, I'm quite sure if we looked at Webster right now, we would see a totally different definition of naive than what is popularly understood as being naive. Sure. But it's a state of I I feel really being um, being open. You know, maybe not sure, but still having the courage to kind of keep you know you keep going. So it. It's interesting, like, when you say clumsy, there's clumsy in the sense of knocking something over accidentally, mm-hmm. doing your body doing something you don't desire. Mm-hmm. That's These are clearly people who are, are demonstrating mastery at doing mm-hmm. something with their bodies, so I'm curious. But yet, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that... But it happens with musicians all the time. Like, what made you say clumsy about this, is what I was going to ask. Well, because, obviously, I, I, I view them as musicians who are artists who are mature enough to not be afraid of the quality of being clumsy, you know, starting and not actually being maybe together in that, those first few moments, trying to find each other because they have to tune into each other too, you know, um, in a, on a psychic level in a way, and on this kind of musical thing which goes hand in hand with that so that the, the rhythm is together, you know, because at first it wasn't, you know. Yeah. And so, but musicians, uh, dancers, um, Where, anywhere where we, we're using the body in like a performance way. And musicians experience that all the time, especially in, in what we so-called improvised music, you know. Because you notice in the beginning, you know, um, you know, people are trying to just feel each other out. So there's a sense of like stumbling in yeah. a way, <clears throat> yeah. which is actually good, you yeah. know. And, um, but oftentimes it's, it's uh, criticized, you know. But I, I think it's good because it means that you're in tune to trying to be in tune. You know, you're 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 in tune to your dis, your discovery of in tuneness. You know, trying to be in tune. You know, and um, and it's just the natural way of life, really. Because yeah, I mean, everything is perfect as it is. So that's why it's perfect, but not in the sense that we normally think it's always perfect. You know, it's not like you know um, there's. Um, like there's no little speck on the dish or something. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I was in an Indian restaurant once, and uh, the guy comes over with the plates, and there's like something kind of 
little speck on my plate. And I look at it, he sees it. He goes, hmm. He goes, he gets it off and he sets <laughs> the plate back yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. I was like, very cool. <laughs> I wonder how you hear music like this as using the ideas from India or other places, mm -hmm. in this case, um, versus just just trying to adopt them exactly, mm -hmm. you know, imitate them. Yes. Yeah. Well, to me, this is one of the first expressions of what is really world music, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know. And one of the things I learned from Don Cherry is that world music wasn't like, okay, you have someone from China, you have someone from Japan, someone from Africa, from someone from the United States, you know, someone from the Basque area of Spain or France, you sure. know. It wasn't that, okay, now they all come together and they each do their own thing, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, you, you try and find a way that, that you can work together, so it means that you have to, in some way, to the best of your ability, go beyond what your normal horizons might be, you know. And that, that, is, that is world music. I mean, world music to me is not just having a bunch of people on stage from different places and they just play like how they always normally play. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just people from different countries coming together and yeah. playing how they just normally play. Yeah. It's not, to me, it's not world music in the full mm -hmm. meaning of, of, of the term or like how the mothers and fathers of world music meant that to be. Mm -hmm. But it is like... Who are the mothers uh, and fathers of world music? Well, um, John Coltrane, Don Cherry, you know, um, Alice Coltrane, um, and some some of some of these folks were like uh, also um, you know dancers too. Mm. You know, you know, Merce Cunningham and all these different people. You know, really, um, Olatunji was one of them. You know, also. And uh, when I see you and um, Josh mm -hmm. and and Shevitz playing these playing balancing between mm -hmm. these, you know. Western instruments mm -hmm. and non-Western instruments, mm -hmm. for lack of a better, you know, mm -hmm. we could challenge that distinction or whatever. But um, it's it seems to me that you're plant, you are making music in the moment, passionately. You're making the instrument mm -hmm. sing mm -hmm. uh, in a way that would be different than the if you try to treat it exactly the way it was played or something. Yeah, and you can't really. You yeah. can't because it's not your tradition, your culture. Even though I've extensively, I've studied frame drumming from different cultures, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to play, I don't want to play, and I can't play like someone exactly from Azerbaijan mm -hmm. or Morocco, mm -hmm. you know, or Turkey, because that's not... I wasn't, I'm not from that soil, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I didn't breathe that air for, you know, you know, most of my life, you know, and, um, but definitely I can, I can learn the instrument from them, I can play the instrument, I can play those rhythms, but there's going to be an interpretation of that through my particular, you know, beingness, yeah. which is just as unique as their beingness, and their beingness is just as unique as my beingness. So I'm, I'm going to learn from them, but I have to be able to express it in, in my, my own way. Yeah. And, um, and so there's enough people from Azer Azerbaijan, Morocco, Turkey who play frame drum. You know, the, the tradition is going to stay live and well. So after I get the basics down and I can play the rhythms, learn the rhythms, all the tum-tum-tum-tum and get all that going, then I have to be true to my own self. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to find my own way 
on that particular instrument, making all the mistakes, all the clumsiness, right. and, you know, and um, and find a way that I can express my beingness through that instrument. It's the same with Josh playing the gimbri. Yeah. You know, he can play those rhythms, you know, and he can do all the gimbri stuff, you know, and uh, he's he's he spent time with Ganawas, you know, just as I have. And so, but he's found a way. First, getting the basics of the instrument down. And not just picking up and just trying to play it like a regular bass, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but really playing the gimbali how it's to be played, you know? Yeah, he does the thing where he drums on the... Yeah, because yeah. that, that's how they play. So they got all that stuff going. And uh, But he's found, after you know years of playing it, he's found a way to express, you know, the Joshua-ness mm -hmm. of the gimbali you know? Yeah. Same with Jason. You know, he's a masterful mallets player, mm -hmm. you know? And... Um, that those balafone that you saw him playing the other night, he got those from the balafone player who who plays with um, with um, uh, uh, Tamani Jabati. Okay. You know because yeah. when when we played with them, you know, and they were blown away by Josh's um, vibraphone playing. You know, <laughs> whenever he would play, they were like. They but would Jason, giggle, Jason, and, yeah, Jason yeah. Ashevitz. They would giggle, they'd laugh because he's so animated, you he's know, when he plays. <laughs> and, but also what he was playing. Yeah. You know, so him and the balafone player in the group, you know. Um, so he, when did he perform this? Yeah, we, um, we did a concert um, a couple of years ago when, at Millennium Park. Okay. Um, it was sponsored by the, uh, what was it, the Chicago the Cultural Music Festival. Yeah, by um, when, when Michael Orloff was still there. You know, when he was the head of it. And uh, it was a group, our group consisted of Nicole Mitchell, Josh Berman, um, uh, Josh Abrams, Jeb Bishop, mm -hmm. myself, uh, Jason Adeshevitz, and Jeff Parker. And and their group was kind of super group. I was gonna say kind of TV Jubati, but not kind of TV Jubati. He's a balafon player. That's from from Mali, but Tamani Jubati. Yeah, that's the name I know. And and. But Kanatigi, well, uh, Tamani is in um, Kanatigi's family. And I met Tamani's, Jibati's father, when I was in Mali with Don Cherry. And when we played together, and I told Tamani the story, he, he broke into tears, you know? Oh. You know, because I, I had met his father, mm. you know? And he was one of the greatest core players on. And I, I had a, a, a LP years ago, I think it was on UNESCO label, but it was Kanatigi, it was. Uh, Sadiki Jubati, who was the father of Tamani, okay. and this other core player, Baisur Sekou Koryate. And, uh, and when I first started hearing core music, uh, I used to listen to it all the time. And when I was in Mali with Don Cherry, we stayed at the only hotel in Bamako at the time. Mm. And uh, Tamani's father used to play in the lobby of that hotel. Oh, wow. You know? And I, when I told, because uh, when I told him at first that I met his father, he was like, well, maybe I, uh, you know, I know he was thinking maybe I met some other Jabati. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's a common name, right? Yeah. I said, no, it was like, it was in Mali at the, the hotel that was in Bamako, the only hotel, and he was playing in the lobby. And then he knew what I was yeah. telling the truth, and yeah. he started crying. Then he said, you met my father? I said, yeah, man. You know, and I wow. said, we had some conversations, too. Yeah. I said, also, I met... Uh, by by Sekou Koyati, also your father's buddy, who they did the recording and stuff together. Mm. And I said, also, I met Fanta Damba, who played with Baitura Sekou Koyati. They did a concert for us, you know, through oh. the embassy. 
And these were the like the great they were like the royalty of Malian music at the time. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like. That was the thing about Don Cherry encourages with Mandingo Real Society. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Just play the traditional Mandingo music, you know, because that's what we're doing. But he said, find. He, he said, you find your own way of doing it. And when we had met him, we had found our own way of doing it. So we were taking the traditional core music coming from Mali, but it had spread throughout Senegal, Gambia, so forth and so on. But like putting grooves on that music that was from our culture, mm -hmm. you know, you know, the funk, you know, blues, reggae, all that stuff. Yeah. But also maintaining the integrity of the core. And still the core songs being very recognizable, but just with different grooves per se. Mm -hmm. So I mean it's so the world music thing to me is like you know, yeah, you have all these musicians from all different parts of the world coming together, but it takes a commitment to know what the person you're next to is about and, and, and like what they're doing, you know, but still maintaining your integrity so you could really, you know, do something together, you know, where it, where it does represent the world, not just these different states or countries, but it's like a, it is a, a coming together mm -hmm. of that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, it's interesting to call that, say that that's world music, uh, that because it can happen even if people were born in the same country, or the yeah. same city, even. Sure. I mean, you have so the train thing we were listening to. I mean, all of those are a bunch of mm -hmm. Americans from different, from similar cities and probably similar neighborhoods in different cities, potentially Detroit, Philadelphia. But, yeah. You know, I know where Jimmy Garrison is from. I think he's, he might have been from Philly also. But in that yeah. sense, so all music is world music. Yeah. Because it's all from the world. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, but that's deep. Yeah, no. Yeah. Like if you're exploring, and then, and then and that's yeah. A, that's a label that musicians did not put on this yeah. phenomenon. But, you know. Huh. Yeah, I bet there's probably a good history of yeah. how that happened. How that Have you seen that change a lot in the last? Because I mean, you've been involved in world music since the 70s. Yeah, people still call it, call it that. But I, I, I like to call it folk music, really. Because it's just music of folks. You know? Yeah, music of folks. Yeah, yeah. That term folk music is kind of is kind of strange. Otherwise, if it's, it's a label like meaning when they say folk music, they're talking about a particular genre. Mm -hmm. But no, our music is folk music. Yeah, too. just like our music is world music. Our music is folk music. Yeah, too. just like our music is world music. Our music is folk music. Yeah, too. just like our music is world music. Our music is folk music. Sounds like a lot of different instruments. Yeah. Sounds like flutes. Birds. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of the uh, the Chinese uh, air hu, the Chinese violin in the air hu. Mm. When you said just before William plays very percussively, um, could you speak to what you mean in an example like this? Well, here he's playing, um, this is definitely more of a, uh, not so much per percussive in the usual sense, but here it's more just uh, sonic, you know, um, in a way. But there's times uh, when he's, well, sometimes when he's doing arco, you know, he has a tendency, you know, to strike the um, the strings with the, with the bow, mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes even when he's playing arco, he'll play the side, you know, of the bass, and he'll play it up to the, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. do stuff like mm -hmm. that. Um, 
but uh, well, basically when I say percussively also I mean that you know he can get all kind of different percussive sounds out of the instrument without playing like a percussionist you know so uh, but also the way that he's approaching the rhythm it has a also very kind of percussive uh, feel to it. Plus also in the background of this too, you're hearing like a, a goop, 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 goop. Do you hear that? Yeah. yeah. Is that the, that's the scraping of the leg? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Might be his foot. Okay, yeah. yeah. Some know. people say that William and I are brothers from another mother. Hmm. We have a very unique way of playing with each other, you know, at times it's very telepathic, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I feel that when we play in all the different groups of his, for instance, that we play with, I feel that um, all the different compositions are like, uh, like they were composed for me to play drums on, mm -hmm. you know? whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what I'm feeling, you know, mm -hmm. so, <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So. When you if you hear him playing solo, do you get a little muscle like a desire? Not really. No, no. Because I, I'm really engulfed in the listening. You uh -huh. know. So it's like, um, I mean, I'll hear things that I could do, but it's like I, I'm really enjoying the listening. Also. Mm. So actually, then about that, what if, when you're listening right now, I mean, what is what's the question you pose to the audience on Wednesday? What is your experience of listening to this right now? Oh, I'm feeling, um, this is something that, when I listen to this, um, this is something I would love to do Tai Chi to, you know, and I'm, 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 when, I, when I listen to this, I feel a sense, a great sense of ex expan uh, expansion, expansiveness, like, like there's no end, you know, because the way his notes are, I feel like they're, they're going out, that there's no end to, uh, it's very music of the spheres, you know. Like I would imagine, like the stars, you know. If you could, if we could hear the stars, mm. you know, some of them might have this sound. To them. No big deal, sound of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Is this Bella Farida? Um, it's called Wandering. Oh, Wandering! Yes, it's Wandering. Yeah, yeah. Wandering. <laughs> for Thrill Jockey mm -hmm. of, of uh, Fred Anderson's music, but doing it in, all in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, at first the group was going to be Jeb Bishop, uh, Josh Abrams, Jeff Parker, and myself, but we didn't get a chance to do it before jo uh, Jeff moved away and Josh and Jeb moved away. So we'll probably still do it with those particular uh, musicians, I think. You know? If not, then if they can't do it, then Josh and I will find um, another group to do it with. But initially it was going to be um, that quartet. But you know, uh, I played on a, I've just about played all of Fred's music and I'm, but we wanted to do it um, find a different way to like kind of orchestrate it. Sure, know? sure. Yeah. How, how is it going to be different? Just, just different orchestrations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like um, maybe some of it would Time and 
grooves and maybe some of it just very open, um, some of it uh, maybe creating other parts to go with it and stuff. Um, we really never got a chance to sit down and really talk about it so much. Mm -hmm. um, so that right now there's just a lot of different ideas going mm -hmm. through. You know? So can I ask you about Fred Anderson and or Steve McCall and what do you hear when you hear them doing this? Particularly maybe also Steve McCall. Well, Steve was, a, was a, um, a big inspiration. He gave me a lot of uh, encouragement, you know, coming up. Also, and his ex-wife, Bobby McCall, she gave me a lot of encouragement also, you know. Um, when I first started playing on this improvising music scene. <laughs> you know. Um, and Steve, he, um, <clears throat> I would say for any drummer approaching uh, this music, and also someone, let's say, coming from uh, a traditional jazz perspective, going into the improvised music, Steve was definitely a great um, person to listen to because he was a, a contemporary, like, so-called modern jazz drummer, too, you know. He, he's a good person to listen to for, like, the crossover. I mean, he got categorized as being a free drummer, but, yeah, he did go into that music, but that's, you know, but a lot of stuff you hear him playing on is, like, like all the stuff with Air and all mm -hmm. that and other stuff. I mean, the stuff with David Murray, you know, he's um, pretty, it's all pretty straight ahead in a way, you know. Yeah. So, but he was able to make that crossover too, kind of seamless, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was a big inspiration for me for making the cross, trying to do that crossover in a seamless way, where you can flow from playing the open stuff into time or into like these different grooves and stuff, but you do it in such a seamless way, it doesn't seem like it's calculated, mm -hmm. you know. My, my tradition of drumming first comes from R&B and rock and roll, mm -hmm. you know. I didn't come into jazz to, especially playing jazz, much later, you know. So when I was coming up, I was trying to learn how to play like, you know, uh, Zigaboo from the Meters or, or, you know, the James Brown stuff or, or play like, you know, like, uh, you know, Mitch Mitchell, you know, from, yeah. uh, from Hendrix or listening to, you know, you know, Grand Funk Railroad and groups like that and listening to The Cream and, you know, all of that stuff, you know all those rock and roll groups that I felt they had great drummers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, so, um, and then I went into, like, you know, doing my, playing a lot of R&B, then went into the jazz, jazz rock world, which is a very different world, too. Um, a lot of improvisers uh, weren't so much into the rock stuff, especially the jazz rock stuff, you know. It wasn't until Miles came along that many of the so-called jazz musicians started accepting the validity of the jazz rock world, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, Miles kind of blended those worlds. But Chicago, the group Chicago, is a perfect example of a jazz rock group. But a lot of the so-called jazz people weren't necessarily into that, you know. Most people are very traditional about their approaches to things. You know? yeah, yeah. And you find that even, even in the so-called free music or improvised music world, too. Um, there's a, there's 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 jazz. There's policemen in all those worlds. You know, there's a free music police, the so-called jazz police, the rock and roll police, the blues police. They exist in all these different genres. You know? Yeah. And um, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. We need we do need people who are going to you know preserve the tradition as it is. But still, you can never still preserve the tradition as it is. Mm. You know? um, 
you can be like, you can be, you can be an amazing biblical Hasidic scholar, you yeah. know, but you can't preserve it exactly how it is. If you, you can if you're a robot, you yeah. Know? But not if you're a human being, because yeah. something of your own personality is always going to come through. Yeah, and the and that's time, the time that you live. Yeah, the time that you the live. The things that you know, are around you. Yeah, things that are around you. All these other influences, and, and that's only natural. You know, even Moses. <laughs> I mean, he changed as time went along. You know, I mean, he thought he was going to go into the promised land. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy. We say right. on Passover, on Passover, right. last night right. Passover of all days. Well, you can't enter. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I think um, you know, um, but I, I think it's, it's it's just. I mean, there's nothing more. You know, there's nothing more inevitable. I mean, change is the most uh, constant thing there is. You know, so. So it's going to be natural that, I mean, these musical idioms are going to change. Yeah. And so just to try and preserve it as it is goes against the very um, core, to me, of the tradition itself. Because yeah. most traditions, they, they, they're, they're established slowly over a period of time, and, and they go through all these different changes until they reach the point where now we've locked onto this, this is what it is. Yeah. You know? But... We got here because of a lot of this change that took place, you know, when we got there. Yeah. But, um, well, it's an amazing when that can happen in the space of one per for one person. So, like, we're listening to Fred Anderson, who saw Charlie Parker. You mm -hmm. know, like he's he's from that far back a bunch of times. Apparently, mm -hmm. Greg Ward was telling me. Yeah. Imagine if I heard this live. Yeah, I can't imagine. What would they do to um, And then you know, through the subsequent. You know, the 50 years of jazz was doing so many things and doing something as modern as this. Oh, yeah. And the thing about Fred's is very interesting, too. If, if you would go into, let's say, the Velvet Lounge, like, during the daytime when he was there, maybe, like, you know, waiting for the guys to come with the beer and all of that stuff and, you know, just cleaning up or something, the number, the person that he played probably listened to more than any other saxophone player was Charlie Parker. Yeah. But he didn't play anything like Charlie Parker. Right. You know, he, he, he loved Parker because of the way that his phrasing, you know, his musicality, his rhythm, and his whole understanding of the mechanics of the horn. Mm -hmm. But he didn't sound anything like Charlie Parker. You know? But he was very um, um, influential, influencing that way. I mean, like, to me, I think Buddy Rich, for instance, was a great, great, great drummer. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but I, I mean, he's not the person that I would like kind of style myself after playing. Yeah. You know, when we play that. But he's a great drummer, great technique. I mean, he had a lot of great ideas. He can lead a group from behind the kit. You know. Um, you know, so it's, um, you can be influenced by someone and not really show in your playing or uh, any of the, um, at least sonically, any of the their stuff, you know, but there's other things about them that influence you. Yeah. Are there other people like that for you? Um, yeah. You know, as far as drumming goes, um, uh, drums, people playing drum set, Kenny Clark is one, uh, but I'm, I'm also influenced by a lot of hand drumming traditions too, hmm. you know? um, I mean, Bernard Purdy, you know, um, Shelly Mann, um, 
I mean, one of the one of the things that influenced me when I was a kid that I saw on television was a Gene Krupa story. Mm. You know, Sal Minio playing the role of Gene Krupa. You know, <laughs> you know it was like, wow, man, it was, it was like, wow, that's cool. You know, a drummer. You know, yeah. um, I think in some ways my life has been fortunate in the sense where I've I don't know if you want to call it grace or blessings or um, but I've um, I'm very easily touched, you know. I mean, I could watch movies and break down and start crying, you know. So it's like, you know, and it's, um, but that's not something I want it to go away. I want it to be even more, you know, um, intense because I want my heart to always be, um, like we were talking earlier about the, the flower in a flower garden, but there's a garden inside of the flower, you know. So I want my heart to always have the uh, ability and the capacity to contain many worlds, any world, you know, um, because I firmly believe that we are an expression of all. So, um, so if we're an expression of all, then in one sense, nothing should be foreign to us, you know. Because we have the capacity to contain all. Like Rumi said, you think yourself only a puny form, but within the, the whole universe is folded. You know? and, um, and the universe being in us, it doesn't mean just the things we happen to like in the moment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? But everything is there. You know, All the emotions, all the different categories, this, this, that, all the different... Um, you know, gender type relationships. I mean, everything. You know, it's it's there. It's contained inside of us. So, um, and whether we have a choice with certain things, you know, I'm, I don't. I can't say. You know, you know, um, different things happen in our life that cause us to move in different you know directions. You know, so. Um, I mean, I hear that in. The music, in a sense, uh, in, but understand. In, I'm not separating music from. Life, <laughs> I understand. I know. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I know. I mean, I'm trying to. I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm keeping them connected, yeah. but just interpreting it to that. There's this sense that a piece like this, it's like, oh, it starts off like, oh, it's a ballad, mm -hmm. but then there's all these moments where, like, is it? It's doing this. It's doing that. It's not mm -hmm. one thing. It's not another. It's. Uh -huh. like, it's. It's ex sort of experiencing itself. They're uh -huh. creating an expression that just right. moves and has many different emotions, many different yeah. feelings. Well, they're influencing each other, though, because you noticed um, there's a point here where, where Steve started, um, it's further back, where he started emphasizing, like, playing more of the mallets on the drums. Then Fred started to change also. Mm -hmm. you know? he, went, he started to move from more of the ballad to this other thing. Mm -hmm. you know? At first, Steve was, like, not clumsy with it, but he was just kind of trying to discover like, hmm, how should I approach this? You know? mm -hmm. And then when he found something, he like started doing it, and Fred started changing too. Mm -hmm. you know? And because in the beginning, Fred was just mostly melody in the way. He's still playing melody, but but now he's more rhythmic too. 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 Yeah. I love this one too. Yeah. What do you love about it? Um, I like the, the way that, that Don and Dewey, um, the phrasing, the way they phrase against this groove, you know. And, and Hayden is just kind of doing that pedal-like thing, which is really, you know, beautiful. Because he's not establishing any, um, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's establishing any kind of groove or anything. He's just pedaling there, you know. 
meaning playing octaves, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Fred Anderson and I, we did uh, three nights at the Harbor Cafe years ago with Charlie Hayden. Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I used to have, have a few bucks or around somewhere, you know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. Memo to somebody, put that out. <laughs> <laughs> Email <Yeah>. Hamid. <laughs> <laughs> My first time, the first time I played with Charlie Hayden was um, after we had left Sweden, you know, and um, we, um, we did a little tour of Europe. It was Charlie Hayden, Adam Rudolph, Don Cherry, myself, Tree Light Gertu. Okay. And the saxophone player who was originally from France, but he'd been living down the road in Sweden, you know, from down. His name was Dudu Goya. Oh. And um, our first concert was in Paris, two nights at Theatre Anthony. And um, we were playing. Um, a song similar to this one. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, and we were doing a similar groove to this. Um, and then at the end, uh, <laughs> going for it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> love yeah, it. Love yeah. it. You got to. You know. And uh, at the way we're gonna, we were going into this black room. We were going, going, going on the drums. But the way we, we were gonna end the piece was with that, that tita, that tita, tita, that digga de tune, that digga de tune, that digga de tune. So that that was a signal. Don would say it once to alert us, and then do it three more times, and we stopped like the yeah. time. Well, we did it, but everybody stopped except me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because my eyes were closed, I was like groove, and I was like in trance, yeah. man. And so then Don brought the group back in again, yeah. and then you know we played for a little while more. Then we did it, and we all stopped. Then after afterwards, Don said to me, um, he just said, "Oh man, you fucked up." You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, something Jim yeah. more kind than that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. He just said, he said, "Oh," he said, "I like to." He said, "I see you like to go to trance when you play." Yeah. He said, "Oh," he said, "Trance is cool." But it's good to be aware of something. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, yeah. that's all he said. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah. That's deep. It's important, <laughs> I mean, in, in life, in all, in all things. Yeah. yeah. Although it is also wonderful to be able to attain a trance state. Yeah. That's yeah. not something you need yeah. to have. But the musicians, oh, though, who who's play and put people in trance, they themselves don't go into trance. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. Because they're like, um, they're not necessarily controlling the people that are in trance, but also the energy of the spirit is coming through them also channeling them to continue with the music. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you, because once you go into trance as a musician, there's also the possibility of that you won't play. Mm-hmm. Too, yeah, you know, sure, and, sure. Uh, and so also sometimes, like you notice with the Ganawa, there's, a, there's dancers, you know, and it's one of the places in the Islamic world where men and women do dance together, you know, and women aren't dancing in any kind of head covering or anything like that. And, um, I was at this one day uh, in Marrakesh, you know, Ganawas are playing, and this, this one woman, she invited me to, she came up to me, you know, she invited me to get up and dance with her, you know. I mean, you, Morocco, that's Morocco for one, also it's the Ganawas for another. You might not find that, you might find it in some parts of West Africa, you know, but, um, so the people dancing were going to trance, but the Ganawis playing the music, they don't per se because they're doing all these shifts in the music to to open people up more to the possibility, that openness of it, of trance, you know, so, yeah.
Yeah, and do you feel like that when you're playing music? Are you, are you doing something Sometimes, similar? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I always call upon you know the energies before playing. Yeah. Call upon the energies. Mm -hmm. yeah. The source from which the, where the music comes from, you mm -hmm. know, because we just channels, you know, yeah. vehicles for that what creative is, expression. What's the process from. of calling upon them? Just calling. Yeah. In whatever way it suits you. Mm. Yeah. I guess I'm asking what your way. Is. Oh, mine is. Um, if, I, if I just ask that I can be an open vessel to, you know, that that energy. Sometimes I'll recite certain prayers. Sometimes like Salat al-Fatiha, like I was reciting the other night. You know. Uh, sometimes. Uh, oh, when playing. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes uh, it's called the Dorji Signum. You know, Tibetan prayer that I like a lot. Um, and other times just, you know, asking to be an open vessel, you know, for this energy to not only flow through me, but to flow through all beings that are here. Mm. You know? That's generous. <laughs> that was amazing for me, too. Not that um, I, like, quote-unquote, kind of messed up, mm -hmm. but what was so amazing to me was Don's attitude about it. Mm -hmm. you know? He said, yeah, he said, I see you like to go in the church. Mm -hmm. yeah, is cool, you know, but it's like... <laughs> It was like he had, there was like nothing so much attached to him in a way. And, and, and he, didn't t he didn't say this to me because like, man, you got to pay attention to what's going on in the group. It wasn't yeah. like that. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. like for your own mm -hmm. development, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I, was, I, you know I, was, I was like what, 19 or 20 years old. Okay. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's a good moment to learn that, yeah. <laughs> Going to school, yeah, yeah. cherry school. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's nice also because the way that you know so much like going to school, I just you know it's like getting graded, you know. But that's not that's like somebody doing something that you as a teacher seeing someone do something that isn't what you think they ought to do potentially, yeah. but like recognizing what they're why they might want to do that and yeah, respecting exactly. him. Yeah, yeah. You know. And for me, it was just so mind blowing to be like like twenty years old and playing with like this person who was like. Not a, a music hero, but like a cultural hero too, like a spiritual, you know, hero. See, there's one rhythm. I'm talking about there's one rhythm you find all over the whole world. You know, right. that every culture has. I don't care if it's uh, with that. With, yeah, but if, uh, but if that yeah, that that's it. That you can be in Hungary, you can be in Israel, you can be in West Africa, North Africa, South Africa. You hear that everywhere. You know? Yeah, everywhere. Yeah. 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 What is it? What is it about the two? Samba, three? You know, yeah. It, yeah. What is, yeah what, it's ma it's masculine, feminine. It's like uh, zydeco, you know. You know, I mean, it's like that there. Yeah. You know? Oh, Bo Diddley? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. Chilling, right? You know? Yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah. So it's like, you know. That's like half a rock and roll. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and every music from, like, from country western to, like, people living somewhere in Siberia. You know, it's like, you know, so. Well, I know that um, when I got older, because, um, like, I didn't start playing with Fred, for instance, when I was, like, late, my late teens, you know, I was about 18, something like that. But I remember um, uh, my father talking about um, 
there was a couple places on Emerson. There's this place on Emerson where they would do concerts. Um, okay, now you got to remember also at that time, um, from what from what I was told, you know, um, I kind of remember some of these guys coming around, but I was really young, you know, because it was also the formation of the AACM. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You got a DJ, you got a DJ. Yeah, you because you could DJ and then you could run out into the dance floor and dance for a few minutes and then run back over and DJ. That's what she would do. Right. Which would be great. That'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be cool DJ gimmick. DJ part of the party. But I remember as a kid, like Fred coming home from work because he worked at the Orrington Hotel. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Across the street. Oh, across the street. And he would come home. (coughs) What did he do? do? I'm not sure. You know, I think he might have cooked or something. I'm not sure actually. Um, He would go in the basement. He practiced. Now his mother, who I call Grandma D, also like um, his sons, she had a beauty salon in the basement. You know, women go and get their hair and stuff done. But he'd come home from work, he'd go in the basement, he'd practice. Then he'd come up and like cook food and stuff. But it was during the formations of the AACM, so a lot of their meetings were at his place. You know, and he always had a group. You know, so um, Joseph John, from what I understand him saying, people like Joseph John, Malachi Favors, Charles Clark, all those guys would come to his house. Yeah. They'd rehearse. Um, the song for... People, yeah, all the all those folks, and, yeah. and and there was a drummer that was around that was from New Orleans, uh, Arthur Reed. Um, there's another drummer I, I remember him. His name was Vernon Thomas, because I remember he um, I was friends with Vernon's son, but Vernon was, was also a bus driver for the city of Evanston. Mm-hmm. You know? Are there still buses in Evanston? I mean, yeah. that just go around Evanston. Uh, no, it's a uh, pace, pace, which is yeah. the whole yeah, north pace, yeah. or the whole suburban area. Yeah. But, but I think at one time Evanston had its own bus and so um, so there was all there was always these musicians you know, around, you know um, so. and you were around you were there while they were rehearsing so. uh, I was a kid you know so it, it, it wasn't that interesting you were in your room listening to Cream <laughs> records <laughs> like I don't care about this you know so it wasn't um, you know like I said I didn't I, I came into jazz later yeah, that's interesting actually that, that I said I, I don't know if I knew that. I mean, how did you were playing other types of music starting at what age? Well, I mean, I started playing in uh, the stage band in school. And, mm-hmm. uh, I remember the first recital I did with this piano player and clarinet player. We did a version of Batman. All right. Yeah. 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 It's a good thing to play. <laughs> easy. You know, you're right. like oh, I can only go one half step at a time. <laughs> right. And that was it. <laughs> This is from Groundation or Tales of Mozambique? This is from Groundation? Uh, yes, Groundation. What does it mean, 
so long. Like this has been stuck in my head all week. Because um, Bill suggested playing this, and it was one of these. You hear this, and it just melody is so beautiful. And I just at work, like walking around doing stuff, just. Like, well, he's saying like so long. You, you, we've been oppressed. Oh, for so long. For so long. Okay. Yeah. For some reason I was hearing it like go long. Like, yeah. You know, you can do it. But yeah, yeah. so long. Okay. He's also saying Rasta, Rasta has been calling you for a long time too. And so it's a double thing. Okay. He's saying also just the people so long Rastafari call you. So so Rastafari has been calling you for a long time, you know. Mm, mm. And the way to protect yourself from the enemy is to come, go to Rastafari. Mm. You know? So it's double, it's like been oppressed for a long time, this, 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 the end. But the answer is Okay, Jai Rastafari has been calling you to come to him for a long time. So come, you know. So it's like both. That's, yeah, that's nice. It's compact. What's that? Yeah, right, yeah. Naibengi. Yeah, yeah. that's really impressive. stuff into, I mean, like what I said earlier about um, Brutzman, the only person I've ever heard of recording is somebody throwing up a kind of dance, dance beat against Brutzman. Like, I, I was thinking of like specifically like a very Jamaican sounding beat or something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've played a lot of reggae grooves and even like this foundation, this uh, Naya Bingy stuff with Peter also. Let's see when we do a duet. I wanted to go visit some like Sufi shakes, you know, yeah. some Sufi masters in Morocco. So he looked around and he found this one old shake that was living in Saleh, you know. Um, his name was the same as mine. His name was Hamid also, Abdul Hamid, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, a friend of Majid Bekas, his friend was going to take us to see him. And uh, so we went, we're going to go, and I said, Peter, listen, uh, I said, I'm going to see this old Sufi master, you know. I said, would you like to come? I said, you know, you don't have to come, but I'm, I'm inviting you to come also if you want. Then he, he said, yeah, 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 I mean, I think I come. I said, okay. So we went to his house. He lived on like a second floor of his apartment. So we come in and he greets us. And they were sitting on the floor, of course, you know. So Peter's sitting like his legs are kind of like Yeah, up, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And, so, um, and so then 
the Sheikh, Sheikh Abdul Hamid, he has his daughter uh, prepare like mint tea and cookies, you know, for us. And so, so I'm communicating with him through a translator. And the Sufi order that he belonged to, that was called the Dakawi al Shabli, I was very familiar with. You know? And so, um, so we're talking about different things. And um, then he says, you want to go, the old man, the old sheikh, he says to the translator, if we want to go to the Zawiya, Zawiya, which is the meeting place, you know. He says it's under construction now, but um, I'd be very happy to take you, you know. And so we're with him for about 45 minutes or so, close to an hour at his home, you know. So then we said, yeah, we'll, uh, I said, I'd love to go, you know, see the Zawiya, which is also the mosque for the members of the Sufi order. So we're walking like kind of down a little hill, and, and it's like this old, really old, heavy wooden Moroccan door, you know, with like huge lock on it, you know. So yeah, the key, he opens it, and we go inside, and like the temperature inside was really different than outside. It was really cool, you know, inside. And, and they were like putting dry, you know, whatever, you, Adobe drywall stuff up, and there was like in the corner like this, on the wall, just like this huge, like Allah, you know. And so we have walking around and showing it to us, and you know, and, um, and so then uh, we leave, and, and he's walking back up the hill. So this is one point where he's walking, we're watching him walk. And then we turn around and start walking in the opposite direction, and we stop and turn around and look at him, and we notice that he's looking at us, you know. <laughs> and um, but so that's the type of person that that Peter is, you know. Yeah. He, um, so he's really open to like a lot of yeah. different things. I know there's, there's another time when we were in Marrakesh. I wanted to go. I heard about this old Jewish synagogue inside of the soup, you know, in, in, in Marrakesh, you know. And, we, and Majid, Majid showed us, we walked and walked and walked. And the souk is like really huge there. And it's starting to get darker because the, the coverings, you know, there's you know, not as much sunlight coming in. And so we're walking deep, deep into the souk. And so then Majid says, we're here. So we look to the left. There's this old, old man, wooden synagogue, you know, that's there, you know. And um, so Peter was with me with that too, you know. And then one of the things we did a lot together in Morocco was, because uh, he likes to take pictures, we went to a lot of old cemeteries. Mm. And um, so he was like, so yeah, he was, uh, man, I mean, when I played with Peter, the first time we played together in Chicago, um, he was traveling with a trio through Canada, and the two guys, they couldn't get the visas to come into the States from Canada, two European guys. So he contacted the guy who was sponsoring the concert, and he said, you know, drummer, blah, 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 I can play with you in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. And so Leo Crumples, he said, yeah, maybe I'll see if Hamid's free. So that night, um, my second, I had to do two gigs that night. One was at this, the first was with Peter, the second was at this place down the street called Edge of the Looking Glass with this reggae group, Kwame in Africa. We were opening up for Muta Baruka. You familiar with that, Muta Baruka? Yeah. But anyway, Muta, his whole, I told him about the concert, his whole group came to the concert. Oh, you know? oh yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I'm not, wait, somewhere, where did I, maybe I read an interview for you where you told no, that story. Somehow I've heard that story. We were all sitting up front and they're like, <laughs> 
But they, but were, they loved it. Yeah, they, oh, cool. they loved it. And and Desi, the drummer, he said, "Man, you got to make me a copy of this. Man, I got to play this for all my drummer friends in Jamaica." Yeah. And Muta Baruka wanted a copy because he did a radio show in the grill. He wanted to play it on the radio. You know. Yeah. And um, and this is this is you. With Peter, my first concert with Peter. When who's the rest of the band? Yeah, they couldn't. Uh, the two other guys. Oh, uh, they couldn't get in get into the states from Canada because of visa stuff. Okay. But they were Europeans, but they couldn't get. Okay. In. So Peter, he's always been very open. That's I'm saying yeah. all this just to say he's always been very open to a lot of different stuff. You know. You know, he found his way, and he he stuck to his way. Yeah. You know? And. Um, but it seems that his way is very open to many different things, both collaboratively, but he's also... He's going to always play the same. I mean, basically, in a way, he's got the same approach, kind of. Yeah. And um, nothing wrong with that. And when I say play the same, everybody kind of always does the same, in a way, mm -hmm. you know, in some ways. No, you have your vocabulary. Then. Yeah, you have your vocabulary. Even growing up, there was always that kind of intuitive sense, but I didn't have the, um, the vocabulary for it, per se. And that is, to me, music is, is a branch of yoga. Okay. You know? Because we're, it's it's a branch of yoga called uh, Nada Yoga, you know, and, um, and that's what it is. Nada, you know, because Nada means sound, you know, and um, and uh, also there's a there's a whole another uh, thing that goes along with that. It's called Nada Brahma, which means uh, God is sound or the divine, you know. However we look at that, you know, and and it can be looked at according to every like Sri Ramakrishna said every. For every being, there is a pathway to some sort of ultimate understanding, you know, and um, so that means there's as many so-called religions as there are people, right, right. <laughs> you know, and um, we don't even, you don't even have to use that word, but just uh, modes of awakening, yeah, or uh, modes of like coming to some type of understanding of consciousness, and however that might relate to us all in whatever way it relates. So for me, music has for a long time been like um, a yoga or uh, a pathway to um, to come to some deeper type of understanding, you know. And um, <clears throat> and we can talk about that on and on and on without even using the word religion. We don't have to use the word spirituality, but since since we do use words, you know, and words help us to define the meaning of things, you know. Um, Sometimes it's good also to use words that some of us might not agree with because then that can evoke other types of conversation to get to deeper levels of understanding. Right. Take us home, take us home, my colleague, take us home. 
Get to hear the rest of the story. Uh, I would tell it. I would tell okay. it. I don't okay. forget. You know, <laughs> I, I saw, okay. <laughs>